You're listening to Midori House, first broadcast on the 9th of August 2018 on Monocle 24. Hello and welcome to Midori House, coming to you live from Studio One here in London. I'm Andrew Muller on today's show. And now, please vote. The ones in red are voting against. Against one with 38 votes. Argentina's abortion reform bill is defeated. Its advocates insist that they are not. My guests Kathleen Burke and Sebastian Borger will be discussing this and the day's other top stories, including the US State Department taking a noticeably harder line on Russia than the US president, an Australian news channel discovers that maybe it is possible to overpromote attention-seeking bloviators, and the Oscars creates a new award for rubbish movies which people like. That's all coming up on Midori House on Monocle 20 right now. And welcome to Midori House. My guests today are Kathleen Burke, Professor of Modern and Contemporary History at University College London, and Sebastian Borger, London correspondent for Berliner Zeitung. Welcome both. Now, if it is any consolation to Russia, the rest of the world is probably as confused right now as it is regarding the United States' opinion of it. While Russia's president, Vladimir Putin, remains apparently immune, for whatever reason, to the otherwise prolific hostility of US President Donald Trump, the US State Department has announced the imposition of fresh sanctions against Russia. These are a response to the poisoning in March of a former Russian agent living here in the UK along with his daughter and subsequently two British citizens, one of whom died. Moscow, as is traditional, denies everything. Uh, Kathleen, first of all, is, is it weird that it's taken the US so long to respond to this in this way? Well, I don't think so. I mean, the first, first of all, it, things have to be they have to have actual evidence. Now, let's say Great Britain provided them with the evidence. Okay, then they have to sort out the inter, uh, interagency fights between State Department, Defense Department, National Security Agency, Interior Department, and so forth and so on. Then they have to worry about what to do about the president. <laughs> um, and once this is all put together, then what are they going to do? Are they going to have sanctions? If so, what are they going to sanction? How much is it going to cost? So forth and so on. So... Uh, I don't think it's that long. If 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 especially since we had the second, the second incident not mm. that long ago. So one might say it's not quite so long as it appears as it is from the first. Of course, uh, Sebastian, do the State Department and the President appear to be on the same page where Russia is concerned? Well, clearly not in this instance. Um, to be honest, I'm a little more interested in um, less in the intricacy, the Byzantine intricacies of uh, the U.S. administration, but the fact that, of course, we do not have a, a, a united front of Western countries um, imposing sanctions in this instance. And after all, I mean, the victim uh, in terms of states was great. I mean, un the United Kingdom. Indeed it was. We haven't heard. It is very, very interesting, I think, that we have not heard one jot about the investigation. I've, I've recently, after the second incident, been to Salisbury um, and, and, and talked to the people there who understandably were very uh, worried and upset about, about the fact that there was a second incident and, as you say, with a casualty. We do, do not hear anything at all. And and it makes me wonder, again, we, we recently we had headlines saying that 
the authorities had actually identified two Russians as the perpetrators. Have we heard anything about the names? Nothing at all. I find that this much odder than the fact that there are some uh, toings and froings between the State Department and the President. Well, Kathleen, on that front, um, Russia has responded uh, to these sanctions, aside from denying absolutely everything, as it always does, uh, but also calling for what it, it uh, described as, in inverted commas, an open and transparent investigation. Uh, how seriously should that be taken, Russia's desire that this be openly and transparently investigated? Well... For exactly what it's worth, of course. I mean, openly and transparently does not mean openly and transparently over over possible or even probable uh, Russian transgressors. But calling for that makes it possible then to say it's not open and transparent, and they're just blaming the Russians when it didn't really happen, and so forth and so on. It's it's a it's a foundation for an entire new story, I think. So I don't think. As such, we pay that much attention to it. What's interesting, of course, is they, they do this, I suspect, because they think there might be a backlash, that they might, there might actually be some, some uh, results or some, some, something might, well, I hardly know how to put this, but that uh, they might suffer in ways that they would prefer not to suffer, that they will lose the story. But, or the Russians, you mean? Yeah. Well, they have suffered today. The ruble fell uh, quite considerably, uh, didn't it, uh, um, after the sanctions were announced? But not not necessarily after asking for a, a transparent, uh, you know, uh, um, investigation. That's that. Oh yeah, absolutely. No, no. But can I just say, even from a German perspective, I mean, Germany did expel, I think, four diplomats. Di diplomats and in inverted commas, of course, because they they are mainly all spies. After the after the Skripal incident in March, um, but there is considerable anxiety about what the uh, what the investigation brings forth and whatever we think of the russians and i think very little of the russians um you know britain will have to put the evidence out there they can't just uh, uh, brush it all under the carpet uh, and and the fact that they're not doing that suggests to me uh, possibly that we we have we have um the, the russians have Uh, found the British intelligence services uh, napping. You know, suddenly we, we hear uh, from the National Security Advisor Mark Sedwell that um, after the in incident in, in Salisbury, they found out that Skripal was actually uh, monitored by the, um, by the Russian intelligence service since 2013. It and would, no, it would nobody be weirdly, weirdly surprising if he wasn't, wouldn't it? Well, I don't. Well, on the other hand, you know, he was he was caught as a double agent for Britain. Mm. He was put into jail. Um, he was then bought freely, free from from uh, from uh, Great Britain in 2010, and and apparently retired. Uh, by the way, he retired of all places to Salisbury, which is the, apart from London, the uh, military uh, town in, in England with with the uh, Port and Down Laboratory 10 kilometers outside the town. Um, and, and a huge, of course, um, military uh, point there. Um, It's 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 all very fishy. That's all I'm saying. And 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 I I 
you know, you the, the Brits will have to convince not just Russia. Well, they never convince Russia. They will have to convince the Germans, the French, the Italians, the Austrians, and all of these people that there is that there isn't a. a Another explanation. Yeah, but remember that uh, they did one reason that they got the support they did is because they revealed what they had they had uh, discovered, you know, through uh, um, whether it's signals intelligence or or whatever they were able to demonstrate, which is why they had all the support the first time. Yeah. Now there is a problem about revealing exactly what it is because then you reveal your sources. This is never a good thing. No. So but I you have to you have to tell us who the perpetrators are in your opinion after you've had a. Uh, four months, five months now, a criminal investigation. But they're, but they're being, they they're, trying, the, they, they're trying to be extradited. I mean, they're not going to come with bags over their head, are they? I mean, it, it will be uh, uh, shown soon. It may be that if you reveal it like that, that makes the Russians even more concerned about these poor people being, you know, uh, transgressed uh, improperly. Right. Well, let's look now at Argentina, the Senate of which has, to some surprise, voted against a bill which would have legalised abortion within the first 14 weeks of pregnancy. As things stood, and as indeed they will now stand, abortion is legal in Argentina only in the case of rape or threat to the health of the mother. It is not necessarily the last word on the matter. The vote was close, 38 to 31, and the bill can be resubmitted next year. Emotions did run high afterwards, however. Demonstrations both for and against the reform turning somewhat violent. Um, Kathleen, first of all, is, is the result itself surprising? There seemed to be an assumption that this would be, uh, this reform would be enacted. Well, I don't know about whether it's surprising. It's not, it's not surprising that it happened, I don't think. I mean, after all, how many uh, predominantly Catholic countries have abortion? Well, there's Ireland, Right, and that only very recently. Exactly. So, and you had you had the Catholic Church going all out, did you not? The Pope, they had a huge mass at the at the very time when the vote was taken. Um, urban urbanites, one might say, tended to be pro-abortion. The huge rural areas were more conservative, anti-abortion. So, I am not surprised in that sense. Uh, I think that possibly when they try again next year, they might get even even closer. But it's, what do I say? It, it's sad because not that I'm necessarily pro-abortion or anti-abortion, wouldn't have one myself, uh, but it, I do believe that in the right to choose. And the idea somehow that the right to choose means there's going to be a slaughter of fetuses all over the country is, is a bit over the top, I think. Uh, Sebastian, do you think votes like this in Catholic countries are, at least to some extent, a referendum on the power of the church? That certainly seemed to be the case in Ireland, which which voted through a, <laughs> a, 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 a through a referendum uh, to liberalise its abortion laws. I think there was an element of uh, wishing to rebel against what remained of the church's power. Uh, and that's been part of a longer process, hasn't mm, it? Indeed, you know, so. they, they allowed, they, they had a referendum on divorce laws. They had a referendum on a gay marriage three years ago, uh, and now the abortion law. And and of course, but you have to remember that the uh, church in Ireland is uh, very, very badly discredited by all the scandals around child abuse. Indeed, uh, so. And there's been there's been years of uh, investigations. I uh, to be, I confess uh, my ignorance as to. 
how much investigations uh, the Catholic Church had to endure in, in, in Latin America. I, I simply don't know. But I presume if, if there were the same kind of uh, evidence uh, put out um, as, as there was in Ireland, um, the vote may well have gone differently. I mean, Kathleen, is is it strange generally, not just in Argentina, but anywhere, that this is, uh, that abortion is seen as a a political issue, something that should be discussed, you know, by politicians and be part of the public discourse rather than just a matter for individual conscience? Is there anywhere that it's just a matter for individual conscience? I, I think in, 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 you... in some places in, in Western Europe, I think it is it is generally settled, even if you don't like it or approve of it, mm-hmm. that, that, that that is the case. In the United States, obviously, it remains a, a huge bone of political contention. Indeed, indeed. Um, I just don't know. I mean, for example, I don't know. Germany has a huge Catholic uh, mm. uh Population. Mm. I mean, what's the situation in Germany? Uh, the situation is that you've, um, in the first twelve weeks, you can more or less freely get it, even though you need to go through the jump a few hoops, you know, uh, get advice from a doctor and, and all that. After that, it, it becomes difficult, and the churches are both churches, are um, the Protestant church as well, are keen to keep it at twelve weeks. Uh, but I mean, it's fair to say, as Andrew pointed out. I mean, Italy used to be a fairly Catholic country, didn't it? Well, it still so is a very Catholic country. So did Spain, mm. and and they 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 have introduced abortion laws. Mm. Uh, Poland, of course, hasn't. Um, so, and and in in Latin America, I think it's very interesting that it's only Cuba and Uruguay who 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 allow abortion comparatively freely. Um, Why is that? Socialist uh, revolution in Cuba, of course. Uruguay being quite a left-leaning country as well. Whereas Argentina, I think is, is, I'm I'm right in saying, is still more tending towards the conservative side in politics, generally. Kathleen, does does this feel like, in in Argentina's case, anything like the end of the argument? It doesn't really, does it? No, because it was so close. Um, on the other hand, we thought it was the end of the uh, of, of Britain leaving uh, the EU argument in '75 when it was two to one to remain. So, uh, with that precedent in mind, it is not the end of the argument. Okay, we're going to take a short break now. You're listening to Midori House with me, Andrew Muller, along with Kathleen Burke and Sebastian Borger. Coming up next, an Australian television station reaps the consequences of courting controversy for clicks. How do you unpack stories in the most engaging way while building a credible and comprehensive brand? Monocle Films visits three media companies in Paris, Munich and Tel Aviv to find out about the most innovative designs for paper and screen. It's good when you have lots of eyes or lots of thoughts on the same uh, topic and then at the end you can distill something new out of it. Uh, I've always been uh, interested in ideas from outside. This is uh, important for me. Designing the news, playing now in the film section at monocle.com.
You are back with Midori House with me, Andrew Muller, still with me are Kathleen Burke and Sebastian Borger. Now, especially if you live outside Australia, you've probably never heard of Blair Cottrell, and wherever you live, there's no reason why you should have. Mr Cottrell is one of those deeply tedious people who has realised that the spouting of extreme and or obnoxious opinions is something of a growth industry amid a media landscape populated by entities desperate for the viewers and readers attracted by controversy, however inane or bogus. Happily, Mr Cottrell also appears to have found the limits of this indulgence, at least in Australia. The local franchise of Sky News has experienced a ferocious backlash after putting Mr Cottrell on its air. Advertisers have deserted, and now the state of Victoria is to pull Sky from screens in its train stations. Um, Sebastian, is there any reason at all not to be pleased by the backlash currently being experienced by uh, Sky News and, and, uh, and, and Blair Cottrell? Alert listeners may have discerned my own views on the subject from that introduction. I mean, I've never listened to what he said. I've, I've I ne- never, I've never read. But, but I mean, the descriptions are quite horrendous, particularly from a German perspective. Someone who, who is uh, very keen on Hitler and has actually advised the Australian government to put a picture of Hitler into every school in I, Australia. I, I cannot stress enough that this is regarded as a somewhat fringe position in Australia. <laughs> well, indeed. I mean, I, I have, I have family in Australia, so you don't, uh, you don't need to stand up for your home country. Andrew, I'm well aware of that. Um, No, interest. I mean, there were. I, I, I haven't. I think the the within Sky News there was Australia. There was um, controversy because this is a particular show which apparently. Well, so in in, in which, fairness, a couple of Sky's own presenters were quite voluble in their unhappiness about this. Exactly. So 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 then the backlash first of all was within the company, and then of course very quickly in in the political sphere. And I think it's it's. it's partly um, wrapped up in the election campaign in Victoria coming up uh, Victoria state elections in the in well our autumn here of course their spring um, um, where where the the whole question of immigration and and race relations is is in the mix and so maybe some politicians reacted particularly strongly because of that um Kathleen we we're seeing the the familiar uh response from people like Mr Cottrell and his adherents in a situation like this. They are now whining that they're, they're, they're being censored and their freedom of speech uh, is being oppressed. Do these people, do you think, actually not understand how freedom of speech works or just pretend not to? Because their freedom of speech has not been infringed at all. It's just, you know, if a particular platform or media outlet says you can't come and say it in here, they haven't actually, they haven't actually censored you as such, or, or, or abrogated your freedom of speech, have they? Of course not. You can go back in the net where you were before and, and say whatever you want to say, quite you can, obviously. You, you, can stand in, you can stand in the street and shout at the traffic. And it, Indeed, and Sky doesn't has the freedom not to pay them to come on, on their programs. Um, I mean, that's just a, it's, it's a silly response. But naturally, that sort of thing is a cry that one often gets. It is. It, it is indeed that. Sebastian, is is this as much a thing 
in Germany. The you know, the, I mean, we see this is not a pure, purely at all Australian phenomenon. We we have obviously examples of it here in the United Kingdom. In the United States, they elected one president. Uh, but people who make their entire living just by saying stupid, ridiculous, outrageous things uh, to attract attention to themselves. Well, of course, we we have recently seen um, in 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 a lot of countries, Australia with Pauline Hansen, uh, in Germany with the AfD, the Alternative for Deutschland. Uh, people with very obnoxious views being elected. Indeed now, so. That, that, now, that then presents you with a problem because they have a, a number of votes behind them. So to some extent, particularly the the sort of the um, public broadcasters have to uh, give them some airtime. Whereas I, as far as I understand, Mr. Cottrell is uh, not particularly... Um, uh, well, he's never been uh, elected if, to if, anything. If we... If we, if we put it tactfully, I think we can say he's at a very early stage in his climb to power. Thank you very much. Yes, he, he is where Hitler was in 1919 or something. Oh, yes. what a good precedent. Um, and so, you know, there is a clear difference. And, and in Germany, you would simply, I mean, apart from uh, to have a Hitler aficionado, you, you simply, it wouldn't, simply wouldn't happen. But but similar people wouldn't get airtime. No, because of course we've uh, we've experienced uh, what what the problem is with giving people like that airtime. Uh, Kathleen, as Sebastian rightly points out, it, it is a dilemma for public or state broadcasters when we are talking about elected politicians who, who do clearly have a mandate of some sort from the taxpayers who underwrite the state and public broadcasters. But uh, Sky News is a private entity, as are such outlets as YouTube and Facebook, which this week, in a not dissimilar story, have decided to can uh, Infowars, the, uh, the the channel of the, the ranting conspiracy theorist and snake oil merchant Alex Jones. Um, was that overdue? Have those, com- those companies been irresponsible in allowing their platforms to be to be used by extremists? Well, it's it's difficult, isn't it? I mean, in the United States, there is, of course, freedom of speech. But a, a Supreme Court opinion, Oliver Wendell Holmes in the 19th century said this ends when you... Uh, when you um, it's the fire in a crowded theater. If you call fire in a crowded theater and there's not a fire, mm. that's, that, that's the limits of freedom of speech. So with this fire analogy... Um, you see, I, I get I get worried about the balance sort of thing as well. I mean, obviously, I, I I'm, I'm American. I mean, freedom of speech <laughs> is in my bones. Uh, but the idea that you have to have balance, so so some some ridiculous, uh, appalling person uh, is able to get equal time to someone who at least thinks. But then someone else will say, but this e- this this appalling person represents. A lot of appalling persons, and therefore it should have, it, he or she should have airtime. It reminds me, years ago when Nixon was proposing uh, a couple of um, uh, Supreme Court, people for Supreme Court justice, and one of them, the American Bar Association, more or less said, this is the stupidest person we've seen coming out of a tree in a long time. 
And the senator from North Dakota, Roman Hruska, said, well, you know, in America, stupid people need representatives as well. <laughs> well, this is unanswerable, I suppose. But, but, but just, again, to pick you up there as an American, the difference is, though, that these are, these are private entities. They can impose standards, can they not? As indeed all private entities do. I mean, the analogy that's always struck me is that if I'm operating a bar or a cafe and somebody starts coming in ranting about the earth being flat or 9-11 being an inside job and trying to start fights with the patrons and I pick that person up and throw them out onto the footpath, um, I haven't abrogated his freedom of speech. He's welcome to carry on yelling at the passing traffic or the, the bins outside the cafe. Uh, I've just said you can't do it in here. Hmm. Um. It is, it is very difficult. In America, you tend to err on the side of freedom. In Britain, you don't. <laughs> and obviously in Germany, you don't. Well, finally tonight, uh, on that, that note of, of, of transatlantic divide, uh, we will move along. Uh, and one might have assumed that popular films were already sufficiently rewarded, what with all those large sacks of cash. However, the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences has decided that this is insufficient acknowledgement of populist cinematic hokum and has announced the establishment of a new award for outstanding achievement in popular film. This will, of course, mean that the Oscars will be won by even more new numerous garbage films than already win them because most popular things are terrible. Um, Sebastian, in, in, in my opinion, is, is, is there a, a crying need uh, for this award for achievement in popular film? You're a shameless elitist, I Andrew. Am. I terrible, am. I am. terrible, I am that. terrible. There are, you know, there are very, very good films which also happen to be popular. I mean... Um, I'm sure Kathleen will come up with a few <laughs> examples. You, you, you just can't name any off the, uh, off the top of your head. Not off the top of my head. But anyway, um, let's move on swiftly. Uh, no, I, I think the problem, of course, is if, if you now, as a filmmaker, get an award for your film which says it's the best popular film, uh, well... What is then the best film? Is is it the best film which nobody wants to watch? Or I mean, it it seems a very odd thing to to. I I can I see their rationale. They 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 want to earn more money. <laughs> they, I mean, the, the more outrageous aspect of this whole story, I think, is that they want to hand out some of their gongs during commercial breaks. Well, I think for heaven's sake, you know. I mean, C Kathleen, is this the Oscars acknowledging, even if they're doing? it inadvertently that basically popular films suck uh. <laughs> <laughs> come on Kathleen <laughs> <laughs> well um, what can I say uh, and, I mean there, there are some really popular films that are very good films let's say Black Panther for example or for all that from uh, Mamma Mia uh, Steady on. No, 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 no. As as a, a, a well-made film that it gives a great deal of pleasure. So I suppose you will say if it gives pleasure, it should get a popular film award. Uh, <sighs> the great the great film, The Shape of Water, has not made very much money. But uh, uh, how do we then between best film and niche films? I don't know. I what I I I don't. If I were Black Panther and I got popular film instead of very well-made film, I'd be really cross mm. because it says, well, you're not quite up to the big boys and you're for people out in Nebraska, you yeah. know. Yeah. Uh, and I, th I think this, this is just, it casts aspersions that are not necessarily deserved. I mean, as I read someplace, someone said, well, popular films do get, do get awards. It's sacks of money.
<laughs> well, th- th- this is this is certainly true, um, Sebastian. This is the Oscars, isn't it? Just trying to find a way to include big hits. A film like Black Panther, for example, uh, which was an enormous commercial hit, but is not the kind of film that often gets nominated for Best Picture, and the Oscars would probably feel. Uh, I, I don't know. They, they would worry about their own relevance if they didn't find a way to nominate it for a big prize. To be honest, I, I always thought, um, in in comparison to other prizes, for example, uh, v- uh, Venice or Berlin or Cannes, can, um, I always thought uh, the Oscars were the uh, the popular uh, hmm. popular the awards for popular films. Well, so did I. I always had them down as the cinematic equivalent of the. Grammys, which routinely dishes out trophies to absolutely dreadful records that just but, sold but, millions of but copies. But Andrew, you're very, uh, you're very uh, un- unpleasant to to, to <laughs> great. No, seriously, who, to great films who have won Oscars. Um, it, 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 I, I just thinking about Silence of the Lambs. I'm sure got an Oscar. It's is it is it an artwork that will endure for for hundreds of years? Possibly not. Was it a very good thriller uh, of its time? Yes, it was. Of of that year, ninety one or whenever it was. You know, I think that's a, a, or, or um, take JFK, a terrible conspiracy theory, of course, um, by, by Oliver Stone. But 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 a but a great movie, a great movie. Why can't you give give out uh, prizes <laughs> to that? I don't. I don't. I mean, see, I think I, I I come to this story as something of an awards skeptic. Generally, except with the, ob- as much. With, with the obvious exception of the British Podcast Awards, which, as everybody knows, are an absolutely unarguable benchmark of broadcasting quality. Uh, but that you exce- must have won one. I did. But, th- but that, that exception aside, uh, do, do either of you actually pay any attention to the Oscars? Does it, does it guide your viewing choices at all? Not at all. I, don't, I normally don't really know who wins the Oscars. Does that make me unimpeachably elite? I'm, 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 I'm just pleased if actors and actresses that I like get an Oscar. Mm. If they don't get an Oscar, I still like them. Do, do, do you sit there booing at the television if they get they get passed over? I, I, to be honest, I have a good night's sleep when you ask me. Sorry. We're well, the wrong people for this question, are we not, Sebastian? <laughs> well, that does bring us that inconclusive note to the end of today's show. Kathleen Burke and Sebastian Borger, thank you very much for joining us at Midori House. The show was produced by Fernando Augusto Pacheco, researched by Anna Shevetka. Our studio manager was Christy Evans. More music next at 1900. It's The Urbanist with Andrew Tuck. I'm back with more on the day's main stories on The Daily at 2200. Midori House returns tomorrow at 1800 London. I'm Andrew Muller. Thank you for listening.